Enjoy all your favorite sports like never before at BetMGM. Signing up and playing is so easy. Simply sign up using code Buckeye and receive up to $1,500 back in bonus bets if you don't win your first bet. When you register with BetMGM, you can get instant access to a variety of parlay selection features, live betting options, and the best daily promotions in the business. And with BetMGM at your fingertips, every play and every game matter more than ever. Place your money line, prop, and parlay bets with the king of sports books today. Sign up using code Buckeye and receive up to $1,500 back in bonus bets. If you don't win your first bet, that's right, up to $1,500. Again, sign up using code Buckeye and receive up to $1,500 back in bonus bets if you don't win your first bet. BetMGM and Game Sense remind you to play responsibly. 21 plus in President Ohio, subject to eligibility requirements. Rewards are non-withdrawable bonus bets that expire in seven days. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER in partnership with MGM Northfield Park. That's 1-800-GAMBLER. Hey, it's Will Friedle. And Sabrina Bryan. And we're the hosts of the new podcast, Magical Rewind. You may know us from some of your favorite childhood TV movies like My Date with the President's Daughter. And the Cheetah Girls movies. Together we're sitting down to watch all the movies you grew up with and chat with some of your favorite stars and crew that made these iconic movies happen. So kick back, grab your popcorn, and join us. Listen to Magical Rewind on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Brought to you by State Farm. Like a good neighbor, State Farm is there. Hey everyone, it's Ted from Consumer Cellular, the guy in the orange sweater, and this is your wake-up call. If you're paying too much for wireless service, you don't have to keep having that nightmare. Consumer Cellular has the same fast, reliable coverage as the leading carriers for less. And for a limited time, new customers receive their second month free when they sign up and use promo code MONTHFREE by May 31st. So why keep spending more than you have to? Seriously, wake up and call 1-888-FREEDOM or visit ConsumerCellular.com. Taxes, fees, and other third-party charges will apply. See website for additional details. Nowadays, 20 bucks barely gets you a burger and fries or maybe a quarter tank of gas. You know what it will get you, though? For just 20 bucks a month, you can get unlimited talk, text, and plenty of 5G data from my sponsor and my cell phone company, Pure Talk. Make the switch today and save an additional 50% off your first month. Choose a wireless company who shares our values. Go to puretalk.com slash jesse to switch today so you can actually afford that burger and fries. That's puretalk.com slash jesse. Your holster is way more important than you think it is. It's just way more important than you think it is. What, look, and I get that. The holster's not the sexy part of carrying firearms, right? You want to talk about your weapon and your ammunition. You, you want to talk about your safety training. You want to talk about how you did at the range. Oh, look at my groups. I was doing these failure drills today. And all that stuff's really important. I mean, really, really important. I'm not discounting that. But I've known so many people who do all those things. They take all the necessary steps, and then they carry with a holster they bought from a big box hunting store that was made a thousand at a time. Please, don't put your life in one of those holsters. You need to trust Northwest Retention Systems because it's all custom-made gear. It's the only thing I carry around. nwretention.com, that's nwretention.com. Use the promo code JESSE, get you 10% off. It's not often I'm uncertain about my position on things, but if there's anything that's given me pause in recent months, it's China, free markets, government control, what government should 
oversee, what governments shouldn't oversee. And this is what I mean. China is our enemy. They are not exactly shy about that fact. We know China's our enemy. They're publishing things on it for Pete's sake. We've caught them spying on us several times. You've seen the news as we continue to arrest Chinese spy after Chinese spy right here on American soil. Let's stop. I understand we have to live in this world of politeness now, but you know I don't do that. China is our enemy. Okay, we know that. Let's establish that. What do we do about it? What do we do about American companies doing business there? A lot of business there. Packing up and moving their manufacturing operation over there and then shipping goods back here. How do we handle that? And this is the reason I personally struggle with it. I realize that China now is a threat. We're talking the kind of threat, not in the short term, but in the long term, that can end the United States of America. They are that significant. They are on equal footing in a lot of ways with us economically, militarily. They're there. Knowing that they're that big of a threat, what should we do about that? Not to them, to our own people. What do we do to the pharmaceutical company? that chooses to make its products over there, giving China the ability to say, no, you're not sending anything back to the United States of America anymore. What do we do? What do we do about American companies that do a ton of business there? What do we do about Hollywood? You and I love to complain about actors and actresses and this insane leftist culture that's out there now. We love doing it, right? And we should. Hollywood is important, though. I mean, it's fun for us to scoff at the latest actor or actress and their idiotic political stance. Oh, who cares what that guy thinks? That's part of culture. It does matter. It does matter. When we have Hollywood movies, several of them being made, and we find out they're being censored by China, and I don't mean we're not going to allow that movie here in China. I mean China picking up the phone, calling Hollywood executives saying, ah, You're cutting that scene out. Uh, You know, that scene's a little too anti-China. We don't want that. And them saying, yes, sir, I'll get that done. What? Are we going to allow China to control what can be put up on the big screen in the United States of America? Is that okay? And I'm uncomfortable with it. I don't want the government stepping into Hollywood either and saying you will do this and you won't do that because government sucks. But we also can't exist in a world where China controls things, can we? We're going to have to ask ourselves some hard questions, you and I, here in the future about what we're prepared to do. Because these people, they have an Eastern philosophy of war and combat. And you must understand that is different than the Western philosophy. It is a much more patient philosophy. People talk all the time about, what if China's going to invade? I'm never giving up my guns. Well, for one, never give up your guns. But China's not going to invade. Why would you invade when you're winning? Why would you invade when we already know they openly support some of the leftist street activism in the United States of America? They cheer on our leftist media empire as they completely rip this country apart. 
We have leftists who've taken over the American education system and educate the next generation of students about how bad America sucks, and then they move on to college, and we have actual Chinese spies reinforcing that. Why would they do anything? They don't have to do anything. All they have to do is sit back and wait. So again, I ask you, what are you comfortable with? What aren't you comfortable with when it comes to taking on this threat? We've run into this before, and frankly, we failed at it pretty badly. Russia knew this. Back when we were fighting the commies in the Cold War, they knew our free society would make it more difficult for us to control them than it would when we're spying on them. It's easier for Russia. Here in the United States of America, if you'd like to drive by an American military facility, an American nuclear facility, there's no problem there. Go drive on by. Snap some pictures on the way by. Try to pull that in Russia. See what happens. Our free society makes it easier to take us down from within. How do we keep that freedom while stopping bad guys from destroying us? We're going to have to figure it out. I am very, very thankful, though. All the, good, all the good things I could say about the Trump administration, I'm very thankful he appears to take this threat very, very seriously. We must hold accountable the nation which unleashed this plague onto the world, China. In the earliest days of the virus, China locked down travel domestically while allowing flights to leave China and infect the world. China condemned my travel ban on their country, even as they canceled domestic flights and locked citizens in their homes. The Chinese government and the World Health Organization, which is virtually controlled by China, falsely declared that there was no evidence of human-to-human -human transmission. Later, they falsely said people without symptoms would not spread the disease. The United Nations must hold China accountable for their actions. In addition, every year, China dumps millions and millions of tons of plastic and trash into the oceans, overfishes other countries' waters, destroys vast swaths of coral reef, and emits more toxic mercury into the atmosphere than any country anywhere in the world. All that's right. And credit to Donald Trump for actually speaking that kind of truth. When's the last time you heard a Democrat or Republican speaking like that? They all tiptoe around it. I mean, well, they, China needs to be better, but they're still our friends. I mean, I like them a lot. It's just a little better. That's fine. Good for him for speaking that kind of truth. And back to what he said at the very beginning of that. Have we forgotten what they did in coronavirus? I feel like this is the most underreported news story out there right now. It just kind of went away. China blocked domestic air travel and allowed travel internationally. China, whether they created this bug or not, intentionally spread coronavirus around the world. What have we done about it? What has the world joined together to do about it? To do about it? Now, granted, the loss of life, while significant, has not been nearly as bad as those idiotic models said they were. But the economic consequences? Nations have gone to war over a lot less. And I'm not telling you I want to go to war with China. 
but the world had better come up with some kind of a response to teach them a lesson for next time. Pompeo had this to say. We should take them at their word. When uh, Xi Jinping talks about uh, national rejuvenation, uh, he's not talking about a party. He's not talking about having a really good day and a celebration. He's talking about the Middle Kingdom. He's talking about these central ideas of nationalism, Chinese nationalism, and uh, the Marxist-Leninist underpinnings of his regime. Uh, he's dedicated to that. He's committed to it. He's put resources against it. They have a model that is highly developed of state-sponsored enterprises and their civil military fusion program. These are things. These are things Xi Jinping knows. And for an awfully long time, the West sat on its hands. We turned the other cheek. We, what I spoke about at the Nixon Library most clearly was a need to reorient uh, and recognize that whatever the policy that were chosen uh, back in the 1970s, whether they may well have made sense at the time, they no longer make sense for the security of the American people. This isn't just a security issue. This is a fundamental understanding about how economies grow and how we preserve jobs and wealth creation and prosperity here in the United States of America. He's right. And man, does that not bring home the November election and what's at stake? When you consider what we learned what we learned earlier this week about Hunter Biden and his extensive ties to China and Joe Biden's extensive ties to China for anything else, domestically, whatever you feel about any other issue, we simply cannot afford to turn back the clock and be a pro-China country anymore. We can't. They're eating our lunch. Good for Donald Trump and the Trump administration for waking America up to that fact. All that may have made you uncomfortable, but I'm right. We'll be back. Joining me now, former congressman and current dean of business at Liberty University, Dave Bratt. Congressman, I've never asked you before. You're this fancy dean of business at Liberty University, which is in Virginia. How do you not wear a bow tie? What kind of college professor are you? <laughs> um, I'm kind of an old school Calvinist guy. I, some, I guess some of our guys wore bow ties, but it's too much for me. I'm from the Midwest. Can't pull it off. Oh, you're crazy. I'd be bow tie. I'd be in a seersucker suit every day, probably a corn cob pipe. I'd just be obnoxious about it. Oh, seersucker is another matter. That I I can go that route. That's good. Okay. We, You and I have talked a million times about China. And yeah. we talk about who's against them, who's working against them, how we're against them, how they're against us. What we've never really dug into is who is for them. On an, on an international stage, who are China's allies? I'm assuming they have some. Who are they? Yeah, well, one of them is Larry Fink at BlackRock, the head of the biggest financial uh, firm in the world, uh, for starters. The second are, you know, leadership of the Republican and Democrat parties. Uh, and, uh, you know, China's been growing at 10%. You, you, you can't go wrong. You can't make a bad bet. When your own economy is growing at two, two and a half, three, uh, three under Trump, uh, and the uh, China's growing at ten, that that's a big spread. And so Larry Fink, he's doing this. You know, people need to Google Google Justin Danhoff. He's a young rising hero who's uh, just uh, doing the transparency work on guys like Fink and China. And Fink is pushing this ESG. Uh, <laughs> 
uh, idea here in the U.S. ESG stands for environment, social justice, and uh, liberal governance. And he's pushing that here against profit maximization, right? So stakeholder theory, liberal social goods, all that. At the same time, he's saying shove half your money into China. China is not particularly known for clean skies, uh, social justice, unless you consider totalitarian repression, social justice, and uh, liberal governance. They don't know what the word liberal, liberty means. And so I mean, you can't make a more stark joke, right? So this Justin Danhoff asked Fink at his board meeting with BlackRock, uh, how do you explain this, sir? And it was crickets, just utter crickets. And that's that's somewhat symbolic of, of everything, right? Spe on the Democratic side, for sure, with Biden. Uh, some of it on the Republican side, but uh, China gives special deals uh, to the first entrance, right, to the billionaire class. They're laughing, right? All this social violence you see down here, uh, you know, waving the hands, a little magic trick. The billionaires are up here laughing their heads off because all this violence down here, they don't care. They pay a little money on the side and they get their uh, safe uh, safety, you know, insurance uh, premium paid with the radicals. And uh, they're laughing all the way to the bank, getting the, the billions with uh, international business contracts. So that's who's why is for China, China. Why is China growing at 10%? I thought they were a commie country. Yeah, well, and that they were 10 and, and then 9, then 8. And this is announced by China. Then I think down to 7 or so. And then COVID hit. And now uh, they were probably negative uh, last year year for sure last few quarters uh and you know they'll bump up to two or three for sure at a minimum we'll see what we do uh but they they can centralize all assets and force their labor to work at cheap wages uh, seven days a week 12 hours a day without a peep uh they can organize you know build airports freeways apartments condos in the first round but that's what's going wrong right now right now uh, the second wave of investment is not as productive, right? After you put in your first airport, if you build a second one, the rate of return goes down. The first one's highly productive, the second one's not. And so they run out of the easy first passes. Now is where free markets have to kick in and the price system informs you about what is worthy of investment and what's not. And central planning won't work uh, when it gets more complex. So. I, I think they're actually uh, five five years or so in crack-up range, and I, I, I seriously mean that. Okay, so what's China's move? I agree with you. What's China's move? I, I'm understandably concerned about that if crack-up time starts. What, yeah. what does a country like that do? Because history tells me you're sitting on a huge military, the economy starts cracking up. I know where that goes from there. <laughs> right, no, well, that's right. And so their move a year ago uh, was to create a consumer class. So they were on the way to creating that consumer class like we have, right? The 70% of our GDP is consumption. Uh, so they wanted to achieve that and uh, so they don't have to rely on consumption from the West. Uh, but then COVID hit and now they've revealed themselves, right? And you have Dr. Yan, I, I think we covered it last time. Dr. Yan's out there saying this was a man-made virus and she has her next paper coming out will prove it was sent uh, by China. So if the world finds that out, good luck. And you've already seen a hint that uh, China being willing to give up Hong Kong, where all the dollar trades are made, right? Not GDP, but all the dollar trades go through Hong Kong. And the, the idea that they're willing to give that up 
and uh, tell the West last week, if you send anyone to Hong Kong, they might not come back, hint, hint. Uh, that tells you that they're past the consumption economy. Uh, they might even be uh, foregoing the investment economy, and they're just going to hunker down and go internal. And so what you just said there, your intuition is is just spot on what comes next. Uh, you're internal, navel-gazing, repressive, not growing. You need a military. And uh, the poor Chinese, right? 1.4 billion people created in the image of God. Uh, we love them. We do not love the CCP, the government. We, they're, they're communist totalitarian tyrants. How did China get so many people? Uh, just start a huge, and uh, they now they now it's interesting. They, they don't want as many people, right? And so this, uh, mm -hmm. I, I don't want to spec. Yeah, do the math on who COVID's hitting and all that kind of thing. Okay, so help me understand why would they make such an aggressive move on Hong Kong when Trump has been so hard on China and strong on China? Were we powerless to stop what they did? No, I, I don't think we're going to let it stand. I don't think Trump will let it stand. I don't think Pompeo will let it stand. And so, uh, you know, we flew some folks in there this weekend, I think. I heard there was some strafing or whatever from the Chinese shooting some guns off or whatever. I haven't confirmed that. Uh, but the reason uh, they have to win on Hong Kong uh, is because of the information firewall. They they are so scared of that. That's their number one enemy is the free flow of information uh, to the Chinese people. And so they have to do everything in their power to, to keep that in checkmate. And the idea that the, the Hong Kong uh, folks uh, fight back a little bit from the intent and win, and then the word gets out uh, that the CCP lost a battle, uh, that's unheard of. And so uh, that, that's my best guess. What do we do with Taiwan? What happens with Taiwan? Yeah, well, similar. I mean, that that's similar. They're our good friends. They're Democrat. They're committed. We, we, we need to get, you know, this is the irony of Trump's America first, is uh, actually we have more real friends now tied together by self-interest, which is the kind of friends I like to have. Uh, friends who will turn on you, who aren't really friends, who don't share the same ends. That's Aristotle for you. You can quote me on that one. Friends share the same ends or goals, right? That's a pretty good definition of a true friend. And so now we've got India's Modi and Australia and the, the cast of, you know, Germany and UK are coming back and UK put a, put a battleship, the Queen Elizabeth, I think, in the water and sent it over in the South China Sea for the first time. And so now we got real friends. And uh, so uh, China... They're powerful, but they're not that powerful. They cannot withstand the group I just mentioned. Well, that is good news. Dave Brad, as always, thank you, sir. Hey, thank you, Jesse. Appreciate it. All right. We'll be back. Joining us now, our resident expert on China, author of The Coming Collapse of China, and you can find him on Twitter at Gordon G. Chang. Gordon, I am getting less and less hopeful about the collapse of China, and this is the reason why. 
I don't feel like people outside of Donald Trump's sphere in this country are taking this as seriously as they take it. I look at all this stuff with Hunter Biden and Joe Biden, and I'm actually not trying to be partisan. You can't expect that family to crack down on China if elected. Yes, I agree with you, because that family has a direct financial interest in the maintenance of the regime. The only hope is that the American people would force a Biden administration into defending the republic. And indeed, China may be just so provocative and belligerent because it feels it can push around a Biden that maybe um, the president would then have no choice but to take resolute measures. But indeed, we've got to be concerned because the vice president has said things pre-campaign, which lead us to believe that he wants a cooperative relationship with Beijing, one where the United States supports the Communist Party. Why? What, what, what is this just a personal financial interest thing for the Bidens and any other politicians, Republicans or otherwise involved with with China? Is it just financial? Is there some kind of ideology that they're agreeing with? What is it? I don't get it. Yeah, um, I, I think that essentially we're talking about um, more than just financial interest. Um, we're talking about a Uh, ideology that has prevailed in American circles, both Republicans and Democrats, liberals and conservatives, for a half century, that the United States must engage China, that as China grows stronger, it will become benign, and so therefore we'll be able to work with China as a partner, that it'll be an essential element of any solution to global problems. Now, unfortunately, as we've seen, especially under Chinese ruler Xi Jinping, that that has not worked out. Matter of fact, It's absolutely the opposite of what we had hoped. Um, But many people have not given up that dream. And that really is the problem, that they are looking at a China as they wish it to be, not as it actually is. President Trump has pivoted and is dealing with the China that he sees. Where do people learn this? Is, is this something that's taught in schools? Is this just one of those things, it's standard DC thinking, so let's go along with it? Because I hear, I hear that way of thinking, and honestly, it just sounds like madness to me. It sounds like a child fantasy. Well, yeah, engagement theory just never was, as you point out, realistic, um, because engagement really is appeasement with a new name. And we know how that worked out in the 1930s. Um, But this really comes from, um, you know, started in the Nixon administration um, with this whole notion that uh, we can't leave China outside the family of nations. And it has gathered steam for various reasons, including some people have a financial interest in maintaining uh, uh, ties with China, such as Wall Street, such as um, multinationals. So there is support for this. But as we have seen over the last couple of years, um, support has eroded as they've seen what Beijing, in fact, has been doing. Because Beijing is is not only dangerous, it's committing atrocities. This is something the world just abhors. Was Nixon wrong for trying it? Was that whole thing wrong from the beginning, or were other people just dumb for continuing it? Well, I think during the Cold War, we had a very different situation where we were in uh, an existential conflict. Um, We, um, and many people in Washington thought, and I think wrongly, but they thought um, that the United States was losing, that the Soviet Union was stronger. Um, This was the feeling of detente, that you have to get along with China. Um, What changed is Reagan came along and then said, no, we don't have to put up with this. Um, We are going to deal with the evil empire. So... Um, It was Reagan's thinking that really changed things. 
And, and again, you know, we have this same sort of thinking, well, you know, China will inevitably be the world's hegemon. It will dominate us. We better get along with them. We better appease the Chinese, although they don't use that word. They say we'll engage the Chinese. So um, this is thinking which is embedded in the American foreign policy establishment, people who are actually in favor of declinism. Um, and yes, I don't get it. Did we win the Cold War? And this is what I mean by that. I'm not, I'm not honestly, I'm not trying to be glib. I understand the Soviet Union fell. But if the Cold War was between capitalism and communism, and we have Chinese professors getting arrested every single day, we have Chinese spies in U.S. senators' cars, we have Chinese censorship of, of our entertainment industry, Chinese ownership of huge parts of our, of our country, did we really stop communism, or did they just move right in? Well, they moved right in. Um, you know, we think of the Cold War as the struggle with the Soviet Union and its proxies. So yes, you can say we won that. But the one thing that we um, forgot is that uh, history doesn't take a rest. I, I hate, um, in, in many ways, quoting Kissinger approvingly, but he did say something which mm. is absolutely essential. And he said in the euphoria of the fall of the Soviet Union that history has no plateaus. We thought history had plateaued. As Francis Fukuyama said famously, history has ended, liberal democracy has won. No, um, we've got to remember that this is a constant struggle. And as Reagan taught us, freedom is no more than one generation away from extinction. And as we look around our society today, it's a lot less than one generation. Where? Where's Japan fall in all this? I feel like Japan is a, a gigantic mystery to most Americans. Our knowledge of that country, it ends at, at the end of World War II. I know we're obviously friends now. Where do they fall in the America-China sphere? Well, Japan is very much on our side. They feel threatened by China because China is trying to grab Japanese islands and actually dismember the Japanese nation. So Japan is more resolute than we are on some things um, and certainly has better North Korea policies than we've had for quite some time. Um, so the Japanese who are right up front against North Korea, right up front against China, um, feel the challenge more than we do because we're on the other side of the Pacific. But as China has shown us, um, the Pacific affords no barrier to Chinese aggression, to their hostility, to their acts against our society. So, um, you know, Japan is very much on our side. And by the way, of course, it is a treaty partner. Um, they're pledged to defend us. We're pledged to defend them. Are you, in what way are they better with North Korea than we are? What do you mean by that? Because um, especially the Japanese public has been extremely skeptical of North Korea. We have always tried to come to some arrangements with North Korea. Um, and this has been consistent from administration to administration. Um, Japan, um, for the most part, has been um, very much um, realizing the hostility of the North Korean regime. Um, now, from time to time, Japanese prime ministers will try to do what ours do, and, and that is our leaders do, and that is to try to see if we can come to terms. But for the most part, um, I, I think Japan's had a much better policy on regard to North Korea. They're just wary of it. Um, they're not going to try to support it with trade and engagement and with diplomatic um, overtures. What's the Chinese-North Korean relationship? Is it big brother, little brother, father, son? Are they enemies? Are they best friends? What is it? it it's really, um, 
I think China controls the North Korean regime. Now, of course, over the course of centuries, uh, the Chinese and Koreans have fought many wars. That border between China and Korea has moved hundreds of miles in both directions because of conquest. Um, the North Korean regime right now, um, you can say that the Kim family has, and, and this is a strong word, but it's actually, um, they have hated the Chinese. I mean, viscerally hated the Chinese. But that doesn't really describe the relationship because the Kim regime knows that it is absolutely dependent on China. And I think the way that we can best illustrate this is that Kim Jong-un, the North Korean leader, went to Chinese soil four times before Xi Jinping, the Chinese ruler, went to Pyongyang. That's a real indication of the balance of power in that relationship. Yeah, the proof is in the pudding. Gordon Chang, go find him on Twitter, at Gordon G. Chang. Thank you so much, sir. I appreciate your wisdom. Oh, well, thank you. All right. We'll be back. Joining me now, Senator from the great state of Tennessee, Marsha Blackburn, and also author of the book, The Mind of a Conservative Woman, Seeking the Best for Family and Country. Senator, before we get to your book, which we've talked about before, and we're going to talk about again, because apparently we really need to spread this message around this country, I'm told you wrote a white paper for the Senate about China. Now, there are those of us who are extremely uneducated and don't know what a white paper is. What is it? What we did was a white paper on how to deal with China, because now people are saying in this post-COVID era, or as we're in COVID, we need to hold China to account, but what are we going to do about it? And Jesse, I have worked on the China issue since I came to Congress in 2003 because of all the entertainers and the creative industry that is there in Nashville. And then through my work at Energy and Commerce Committee, realized their impact on technology, on auto manufacturing, what they were doing to halt pharmaceutical production in the U.S. You begin to see this tangled web that they are weaving. So we have about 100 recommendations for ways you can deal with China. We're looking at Xi Jinping in this and how he is more Maoist in his approach than any of China's other leaders. We're also looking at what is happening with the Uyghurs and the human rights violations. Can you explain how he's more Maoist than the others? Because I think people do not realize how aggressive this human being is, how imperialist he is. This is not a guy who's just content to be dictator of China. He's more, isn't he? Yes. And what we know when it was Chairman Mao, what did you hear regularly? That they wanted to spread the China kingdom around the globe. And so with Xi Jinping, what you're seeing, they're practicing debt diplomacy with countries all around the globe. Countries that are in need of technology, they say, oh, we'll help you with that. We will bring in the technology and we will carry that debt for you. And then you can pay us back over a period of time. And actually, if you look at the Horn of Africa, there are some countries that 80% of their total debt is now held by China. 
which is very dangerous for them. In essence, China is finding themselves running that country. So that is the type thing we're looking at in this white paper. It is a great way to say China is a problem. There are issues that can be dealt with. There is a way we can move forward with them. And here are some solutions that would bring us closer to unraveling our relationship with China. Senator, what's in Africa? I, I have heard rumors of this before, that China really is getting a basically modern-day colonies going in, China, in Africa, and I don't understand why. What's in it for them? What's there? Yeah. Well, what is in it for them is a population that uh, is in need of technology. So Huawei technology, take Djibouti, for instance. Uh, Djibouti has a wonderful port, and what China wanted to do was to build a commercial shipping port in addition since everything in China is the Chinese Communist Party, what they have done with building that commercial shipping port there at Djibouti, they have done a military post for the Chinese Navy. So they have their surveillance center there. Now for Djibouti, they said, you want technology? We'll give all of your people cell phones, we will put uh, cameras on every street corner so that you have a wired, smart community. So guess what? All of a sudden, the Chinese can track the Djiboutans. And then China has a port there in the Horn of Africa. They have now moved to another continent. So this is part of their world dominance. You know, Jesse, I think it's very important to realize China does not desire to be a member of the community of nations. China wants the community of nations to be subservient to China. Yeah, well, well, Djibouti is really fun to say, so at least we do have that. Now, you had mentioned entertainers and what China, how China affects entertainers. Can you elaborate on that a little? Because it's not something people think about. It's not something people talk about. What, what's happening there? What is happening there is that their music is pirated. And, or take a, a Gibson guitar. What they will do is knock off the design of the Gibson guitar, and then they sell a pirated version. Somebody buys it. They're none the wiser because the Chinese go in and they mock up all of the certificates and the papers. And then Gibson gets this guitar that is a uh, default, a faulty item. It comes into the guitar factory and they realize that this is not their product. So they send it back to the person. This is a pirated item. This is not a Gibson guitar item. And you see that happening for uh, people in the, the film industry or the TV industry. The Chinese will um, go in and they take all of their, um, their creative content and they repackage it, but they never pay for it. Uh, when you look at technology, you know, there's all this being said about banning TikTok in the U.S. Well, guess what? Every app that is made by a U.S. app maker is banned in China. 
so this is the way China plays. And what we're saying is it's time to hold them to account. We no longer need to give them the benefit of the doubt. We need to bring back our pharmaceutical manufacturing. We need to make certain that they, when they make a deal, they're going to uphold that deal. U.S. companies need to realize when they're doing business in China, they are in bed with the Chinese Communist Party. Now, this, this coronavirus thing, honestly, whatever happened, whatever we did here, the, the part of it that just shocks me the most is that China closed their domestic air travel and let their people, their sick people, spread around the war. Now, I certainly am not somebody who would ever beat war drums about anything or thinks we need to go to war with China, but that, that is an act of war in, in any period of time in history, is it not? Well, one of the things that we do know is China, uh, they knew they had this virus. They knew for 50-something days that this was an epidemic moving to a pandemic. During that period of time, what did they do? They hoarded PPE from around the world because they knew it was going to be needed. They prohibited people from Wuhan in Ubei province from going anywhere else in China. But they could go to the Wuhan International Airport, get on a plane and fly anywhere else in the world they wanted to fly. Of course, many of these people had been exposed to the coronavirus. Uh, they developed the COVID-19. It was early on in the pandemic. No one knew what it was or how to detect it or how to treat it. And I give President Trump an incredible amount of credit because he ended travel with China and said, we are not going to land those planes here. He limited their ability to come into the country. And then when federal agencies were moving too slowly responding to this, what did he do? He said, okay, I'm going to call the vaccine makers over to the White House. We're going to discuss this and I'm going to develop a project warp speed that we will run out of the FDA. He did it. That is why we have three vaccines that are in clinical trials right now. And as they are in those clinical trials, they are already manufacturing the vaccine. It is why people were able to get ventilators and PPE he said to the automakers, we need ventilators. Who can retool and make them? And now we've been supplying ventilators to other countries. It is why all of a sudden there were these face shields, people that were into 3D printing. They retooled, they made face shields. People that were in other garment manufacturing started making masks. And then he called the retailers in and he said, we have to get all of this to the American people and you cannot price gouge. And they all made a commitment and they did it. And even our whiskey makers in Tennessee, our distillers, what did they do? They started making sanitizers. So they got in on the act also. So this is the way that you address these problems and President Trump was a great leader through the whole thing. Senator, how can people get your book? People need to read this book, especially women. 
I've got to tell you right now, the book is perfectly timed for what's going on, isn't it? We're going to have a female uh, Supreme Court nominee, women that, and the book's so intentional about bias and prejudice and preferencing against conservative women. And uh, if you need to armor up, if you've got friends that are confused by the election, it's the perfect book and the perfect time for it. And you're going to find it at any major book retailer, either online or in stores. Senator Marsha Blackburn, one of the great ones. Thank you, ma'am. Appreciate you giving us some time. Thank you. Good to talk to you. Bye-bye now. All right. We shall return. We don't have to sit and cower in fear when it comes to China, but we do have to be very, very, very aware that we are in a cold war. We are. This is no different than the last cold war, except our opponent might be tougher. Honestly, economically, militarily, there's no comparison. They are on equal footing, and we had better start conducting ourselves like we have an equal footing enemy out there who wants us done. Let's continue to be better about that in the future. All right, we'll do it again sometime. Newton Group Transfer. They are here to help you if you're stuck in a timeshare. These stories from people who have these timeshares and can't get out of them, they're shocking. These timeshare companies, not all of them, but so many, they get their hooks into you and you can't give them up. You can't give them up. Or they'll, they'll do things like they charge you thousands of dollars. One girl, she got past her timeshare when her mother passed away. She gets past the timeshare, doesn't want the timeshare, doesn't use the timeshare. They tell her she can get out of it for $4,000. She has to come up with a $4,000 check. This is not right. It's unjust. And Newton Group Transfers is here to help you. If you are in a timeshare and want out or know someone who is, call 888-845-3773. That's 888-84-JESSE. Or go to timesharejesse.com. Newton Group Transfer. They will help you out. Sick of being upsold at gyms? My guy, you're currently a base member? For $90 more, I can upgrade you to our Shred membership. For $130 more, you'll be a swole member. And for just $300 more, you'll reach Sweat Platinum. At Planet Fitness, you'll get energy without the upsell. Never pushy, always free fitness training and equipment for every workout. It's fitness that fits your budget. Join Planet Fitness for just $1 down and $10 a month. Cancel anytime. Deal ends Friday, May 10th. See Home Club for details. If you love sports and true crime, then there's a new podcast from executive producer Dan Patrick and hosted by me, Jay Harris, that you won't want to miss. Playing Dirty Sports Scandals. Each week, I'm squeezing the juiciest details from some of the biggest sports scandals ever. I'm talking Marcus Dixon, Olympic gymnastics, Kane Velasquez, salacious Super Bowl-level scandals. Join me on the dark side of sports by listening to Playing Dirty Sports Scandals on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. 
I'm Hannah Storm, and my new podcast, NBA DNA with Hannah Storm, chronicles my six decades in professional basketball, from growing up in the sport to becoming one of sports TV's first female broadcasters. Join me as I dig deep into the game's history, unearth some wild stories, and talk to my friends from the world of basketball, from Dr. J to Charles Barkley. It's been a wild ride, and now I get to take you with me. Listen to NBA DNA with Hannah Storm on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. I'm Saleya Mosin, and I've covered economic policy for years and reported on how it impacts people across the United States. In 2016, I saw how voters were leaning towards Trump and how so many Americans felt misunderstood by Washington. So I started The Big Take D.C. We dig into how money, politics, and power shape government and the consequences for voters. With new episodes every Thursday, you can listen to The Big Take D.C. on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts.